Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by BOMI. It's the industry standard for education and training in facilities and property management. Check them out at BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I. Well, today we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about legal concepts today. You know, it's a changing world, especially in retail, even in office use, mixed use. So today we have some experts to talk about kind of the legal side and some of the trends that they're seeing in the marketplace. Please welcome my first guest. It's John Neville. John's a partner with Arnold Golden Gregory. He's also co-chair of the retail team. He's here in Studio One with us. John, thanks for uh, coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, John, you see a lot. From, from your desk as co-chair of the retail of, of kind of some of the concepts and trends that you're seeing kind of on the legal side of, of leases and deals today. And I think one of the issues that's it's big in retail is online sales, right? And a lot of the malls and a lot of these centers, you know, they, they have a setup of a percentage rent. Uh, and then also just to understand, I store understanding the success of their location, you know, they've got to understand what sales are they getting out of that store. So how are you seeing landlords and tenants deal with this today? It's all over the map. Yeah. It's an evolving art and an evolving term that I think no developer, no tenant is totally pinned down. I think the most common language we're seeing these days is that we will, we as a tenant will count as a sale whatever we're counting as a sale across our platform. Meaning that we don't really know what we're going to count as a sale across our platform next year, but we'll, we'll treat you all the same this year. Um, classic example are you know items that may be ordered online and picked up in store, yeah. or items ordered from internet terminals inside of a store. How do you count those? Are there's a sale for that store or not? I think the verdict's still out. Yeah. Well, it would seem to me if I'm the, looking at it from the landlord side, on um, those two examples, that would be a, if you were, if someone came in the store and they were on your, your your terminal there and ordered it, and then if they ordered it online and came to pick it up, the real estate was used, right? Real estate was used, but it was used in a different manner than as a as a showroom for sure. Yeah. yeah. So the question I think ultimately is: is our gross sales calculated as if the place is a showroom, or are, is gross sales calculated in some other manner where a transaction traditionally is is picked up off the shelf, brought to the cash re cash register, and paid for? Mm -hmm. um, the answer probably is somewhere in between. You know, th this has caused even debates about how you treat a traditional internet company that may develop a local store. You know, if people are branded or valuable customers to that internet company without the local store, suddenly because they build a local store, should they have to start paying on those sales from that market? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, well, it is interesting. And, and I guess if you're looking at it from the landlord's perspective, um, then how, how would you do that if, if you had an internet type of store and all of a sudden they want a presence, they want that market presence in your, in your center? Uh, obviously, they're going to benefit from it, or they wouldn't be doing it, right? You know, I think one answer is not to have not to have percentage rent. Right? Yeah. I mean, one answer is to get as high of base rent as you can get, yeah. so we don't have to have this debate. Yeah. Um, I think, from a landlord's perspective, you know, if I am going to have percentage rent, mm -hmm. then I need predictability. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really like the idea of my definition of sales could change from year to year depending on the accounting of the particular retailer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that I've seen that has actually worked in some circumstances is that you if you have a sales number, you effectively gross that sales number up by the overall percentage of internet sales for the brand. So for instance, if you have a brand that has $10 million of sales each year, and out of those $10 million of sales, $4 million come from the internet, 
then what you would do is take the individual store sales and you'd gross it up by 40%. Mm -hmm. Considering that, you know, roughly, you know, 40% internet sales could be attributed, you know, or grossed up by that number. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And I think a lot more stores are realizing that it is an online business and it is a, a bricks and mortar business, right? Bricks and mortar is not going away. Yeah. I mean, bricks and mortar sales are up. ICSC has published some great yeah. data on that. But, but calculating the success or failure of a store, that's changing. And I think we still don't know the answer. Yeah. And whether you're a tenant or a tenant rep or a landlord and a landlord rep, you also want to be concerned about the choice of tenants in a center, right? So if you're a landlord, there can be a lot of issues today because you've got lots of different uses, right? You, you have, you, we talked about it, you have WeWork, you have, uh, you have dentists, you have doctors, you have all sorts of use in these centers and they all have to kind of co-mingle. So what do you see in there in the legal world? Well, I mean, first of all, it, that, that brings in a host of issues, right? Yeah. I, I think, first of all, from an investment perspective, you know, the Amazon proof is a trendy term you know, the Amazon proofness of your development is important. Mm -hmm. and, and that could be a whole hour long discussion about what is Amazon proof and what is not, but you just touched on some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly massage places, certainly dentists, certainly restaurants, mm -hmm. generally things that you can't easily do online. Mm -hmm. um, where that Amazon proofness gets relevant and comes into the legal world is when you start talking about co-tenants, mm -hmm. right? And you strike deals with saying that X, Y, and Z tenants must be open or else everybody gets a rental break or, or a termination. Mm -hmm. The co-tenancies really probably should be tied to Amazon proof type concepts because we don't know where some of the traditional apparel retailers are going to wind up. Yeah. Um, all, all I know, Michael, is that the studies show that retail overall as a group is up yeah. and retail as a group is going up. But that doesn't mean that individual components won't continue to evolve and, and some will fade away. Yeah. The objective in co-tenancy is to avoid listing as co-tenants those brands that are fading away. Yeah, and if you're not in retail, co-tenancy clauses refer to a tenant having some rights to maybe reduce their rent or even in some cases even end their lease if the major anchor tenant uh, goes dark or, or, or goes out of the, the center altogether. But surprisingly, unlike maybe five years ago, co-tenants aren't just tied to anchors. I mean, yeah. you, you're seeing you know people identify a major restaurant as a co-tenant. Yeah. You're seeing people identify, you know, a fitness user as a, as a co-tenant. Um, some of these Amazon proof brands that people expect will be there are being listed as co-tenants, even if they're only occupying five or 7,000 square feet. So that's changing too. But aren't landlords and possibly their lenders kind of a concern with these co-tenancy clauses? They are. I think it goes to sort of what we're talking about, right? Your named co-tenants in your new deals have got to be brands that we realistically expect will be here in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, grocery, you know, while subject to debate, I'm a big believer that grocery is still Amazon proof. Even though Amazon bought Whole Foods, most people are still going to the grocery store to buy their groceries. And I think it's realistic to think that in 10 years, most people will be going to the grocery store to buy their groceries. Yeah. And so, you know, a grocer is a very common co-tenant yeah. in today's deals. You know, big box apparel users, um, certainly, um, you know, the mid-market to higher-end big box apparel users, maybe not so much. Yeah. Well, let's uh, a similar topic here is tenant credit. And, of course, every landlord wants full credit guarantees, and, and most tenants want to try to tend to re reduce that and mitigate their risk there. What are some of the trends you're seeing on credit guarantees today? Well, in a, in a guarantee, I think one of the things a good lawyer should look at mm -hmm. are what the state's laws allow. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean a lot of states, the vast majority of states in the country, require the landlord to limit the damages incurred once there's a default. 
And why that's relevant to tenant credit is that the tenant guarantee, if you're signing a personal guarantee, Michael, your personal liability can't be greater than the liability of your entity under the lease. And so if state law says that your entity is only liable for, for a certain amount of, of dollars or a certain amount of term, mm -hmm. your guarantee can't be more than that, if that makes sense. Right. And it's very state law specific. So one of the trends we're seeing, both from a landlord and tenant side, is trying to pin down a realistic scope of damages for the guarantor right. you know, in the event of a default. Um, the tenant obviously wants to limit that as much as possible, mm -hmm. but a tenant thinking that they might only be liable for six months worth of rent in the event of default is probably unrealistic. Yeah. Similarly, landlords want full-term guarantees, and in most cases, the chances of a landlord being able to recover full accelerated rent in the event of default is unlikely. So the key is getting a good landlord counsel and a good tenant counsel, a good landlord broker and tenant broker, to understand the law and be practical about the scope of, of that liability. And where can we find those? No. In <laughs> a lot of good places. <laughs> That's right. A lot of cities, small and big. There you go. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk about another issue that's really key and in the legal world today, especially in uh, leases and, and everywhere, is construction, uh, timing. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. Today we're talking about legal concepts in commercial real estate. The segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. It's video training for commercial brokers. And my guest is John Neville, and he's a partner with Arnold Golden Gregory. He's also co-chair of the retail team. And, and John, one of the issues I think in all of commercial real estate today is construction, uh, construction costs. There's seems to be, uh, the construction people seem to be uh, pretty thin right now. They're, they're pretty busy. What, what is that doing in, the, in, in, in your side of the, at your desk? Is it, are you seeing it in leases? Are you seeing it be an issue? It's a huge issue as far as timing goes, because mm -hmm. it is a supply and demand thing. Mm -hmm. um, the brands that are growing um, are growing aggressively. And they usually have dedicated construction teams or dedicated contractors. And they need those contractors to be able to stay on schedule or else it's like a domino effect and everything may get behind on an aggressive brand rollout in a market. So what we're seeing from a tenant side is tenants are really requiring the landlords to give hard dates as to when the landlord's portion of the project will be done. So the construction team for the tenant can know when they're going to get started. Well, that's hard for a landlord to do today, I would think. <laughs> it, it is, but money speaks. Yeah. You know, and 
when landlords are doing their contracts with their contractors, you know, they're they're in turn taking this these requirements and putting them in their construction contracts, where um, contractors are being incentivized to complete early, and contractors are being hit with liquidated damages yeah. in the event they're not. Yeah, and then their their subs don't show up, and <laughs> they have an issue, right? And then you have to go find you know new qualified people. That's right. And and Michael, it also translates from the landlord to the tenant. Yeah. Similarly, these landlords are making commitments to their equity investors. They're making commitments to their lenders mm -hmm. and saying, we will get this project done on time because this is when our rent stream will start yeah. because that's what the equity investors and the lenders are looking for. Right. So similarly, the tenants are also being given very strict timelines as to when they need to have their work done and very strict timelines as to when their rent will start and when they will open. Liquidated damages are being used in both accounts to make sure these things happen. Yeah, so there's some teeth that the tenant needs to open on time as well. That's right. And what are you seeing with trends as far as costs, John? I mean, we've seen a lot of these construction costs kind of tick up, it seems like, every quarter. Are you seeing any trends there in, in the documents and negotiations related to protection for a tenant or a landlord on these rising costs? You know, I think in documentation, I mean, in any deal with allowance, I think it's more and more common to require receipts. Not that it's, it's always been asked for, but I think it, it's not as much conceded as part of negotiations. You know, to find actual evidence that dollars have been paid because the numbers are higher and people need to validate that. Yeah. You know, lien releases and lien waivers are becoming more and more important because there are, you know, contractors that are generals, general contractors going out of business yeah. and and we really need to make sure if, if from a tenant and a landlord perspective that our subcontractors who are working hard and providing valuable services are getting paid yeah what are you seeing related to issues with tenants uh, commingling in retail properties today you know we have um, it, brands that are discount retailers next to office users next to what daycare on the same center are you seeing issues there and trends every day <laughs> it's a, and, and, and there are different buckets of problems right I mean yeah. one bucket of problems is that people don't even fully realize what restrictions are out there classic example could be is that maybe Walmart did a development in 1988 and Walmart abandoned the development in 2002 and were replaced with maybe two anchors that took the Walmart space Fast forward another 15 years, we now have evolving retail where non-traditional users like daycare, non-traditional users like massage places, non-traditional users like WeWork or Regis are coming in. And if you were to go back to that Walmart document in 1988, mm -hmm. they're prohibited. Right. But people haven't even taken the time to look at it, and people don't even really care that are currently there. Right. Because you know, the developer just wants to make money, the existing retailers there want to have good foot traffic, um, everyone's aware of the, the shifting nature of retail. But the fact of the matter is, is that legally there's a document from 1988 that maybe prohibits childcare, let's say. Right. And those just aren't being dealt with and aren't being discovered. Right. Wow. So the tenant is, I guess, taking some risk, but who's going to enforce it, I guess, is the question. Well, and the developer's taking risk, right? And the lender's right. taking risk. And you have a, a conundrum of, of a situation where you have a, of uses that probably are prohibited within a development, but everybody's sort of going on almost a handshake that they're okay. Now, yeah. a sophisticated lawyer, sophisticated lender will require cleanup. And that's a whole other bucket of issues of how do you clean it up? Yeah. How do you go and find the consenting parties needed to right. clean this up? Right. Do people suddenly think they have leverage because this cleanup is needed? How much is that going to cost the developer? How much will that right. cost to the tenants? Yeah. So, you know, Michael, that's one bucket of issues. Yeah. You know, another bucket of issues is just practical operations. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I were talking offline about a situation where sometimes, you know, childcare centers, for instance, which are increasingly common, mm -hmm. you know, can struggle with certain other users that, that may draw 
clientele that that would be inconsistent with a child care user. A, a liquor store might be an example mm -hmm. of a situation. In some cases, they're legally prohibited from being too close to a child care center. Yeah. Um, maybe there are establishments that work to you know rehab people in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, criminals mm -hmm. that that they give a second chance to. You know, as I think employees. right. You and I yeah. would agree that that as a as a society, that's something we should do. Yeah. The problem is, you take that and you put it next to a child care center, we can have issues. Right. Um, Sometimes those issues aren't flagged until both deals are done, and then you have to, you know, work backwards to figure it out. Yeah, John, are you seeing issues with clients on the landlord side um, not allowing you to review all the leases? Sometimes we'll do lease for a landlord at our shop, whether it's office or retail, and we say, look, we need to review all your leases and make sure we're not violating something in there. And they say, eh, no, we don't want you to spend that time or that money. Uh, uh, do you recommend that? And do you have to see that as an issue? We we do recommend it. We do see it as an issue. We also understand that people work on a limited legal budget. Yeah. You know, and, and, and a suggestion can be is that you know most law firms have, have really skilled paralegals mm -hmm. that, that can review these things at a cheaper rate. Yeah. You know, most sophisticated development companies have you know good junior in-house analysts mm -hmm. maybe that, that can look for these things, these are not complicated legal issues necessarily. Right. You know, Michael, yeah. you, any, any, mo most people on your team of talented people, yeah. you know, if they sat down to read a document, could probably flag if a child care center is prohibited. Right. But, you know, that, that wouldn't require paying yeah. a lawyer hundreds of dollars an hour to do. Right. But, you know, it takes time, and that's where I think outsourcing can help too. Yeah, and there could be a lot of issues, right? Just to name a few, you got exclusives. Right? You have non-compete, you have first rights of refusal, you have parking requirements, you have sign requirements, you have uh, noise issues. You, you, there could be a, a lot of issues to look for in all these leases to make sure your new lease is not creating a problem, right? Well, and, and there are credit issues too. I mean, yeah. a lot of leases, again, you and I were talking offline, mm -hmm. a lot of leases have kickouts, which simply mean that if sales don't achieve a certain number mm -hmm. in a certain year, then the leases can terminate. Yeah. And you know, if our clients are looking to buy property, you know, you can you can only value that lease to the point of the kickout on most occasions because if the tenant can get out for basically no cost, you can't really count on the rent coming after that kickout date. Yeah. If you don't review the leases, you may not know such a kickout exists. Yeah. Are there some tenants that you're seeing on the landlord side or lender side that some some tenants are kind of being discounted? Uh, credit-wise on some of these deals? Yeah, I would say, it's a general generalization, but I would say mid-market apparel retailers, mm -hmm. especially the bigger the space they take, um, are, are more challenging these days. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the super discount retailers, the most extreme example would be like a Goodwill, um, is, is, is excellent these days because those going to the Amazon-proof concept, those are pretty Amazon-proof. Yeah. You know, the, the concept of, of a Goodwill or a thrift store, you know, needs to be done in person. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think in the, in the past, you thought of a Goodwill store maybe bringing down the, the value of a center, but not so today? Not so today. And the other end of the extreme would be your uber high-end um, apparel and luxury retailers. And the reason being is that most people, if they want to buy a $50,000 purse, you know, want the thrill of walking into the store and, and having the shopping experience of buying it as compared to just hitting a button online and having a $50,000 purse sent to your place of work or your home. Yeah, well, I like my $50,000 purses delivered, hand-delivered to me. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, I'm going to come in 
with flowers and, and wine and everything else. If you're spending $50,000 on a purse, you want it to be made to feel special. And you can <laughs> only right. feel so special when you're hitting an internet button. <laughs> That's right. Well, John, what would you leave our audience with to think about related to legal trends and, and, uh, and their documents and deals today? Well, I would say whether you're a tenant or a developer or a potential investor, that you know the death of retail is over-exaggerated and I think it's been proven wrong. You know, ICSC's data has shown that. Um, practical experience, both your company and mine have, have shown that. Um, it's evolving, but, but retail is growing and bricks and mortar retail is, is here to stay. Um, in, in negotiating deals, I think it's important to understand that the market is changing, but I think paranoia can creep in if you're not careful from what you read and from what you hear. And paranoia has no place in business and paranoia has no place in legal drafting or negotiation. Yeah. So you know, if something seems too extreme and, and too reactionary, it probably is. And you should ask your lawyer or ask your broker or ask your consultant, you know, is this really necessary? Yeah. Well, good tips, John. Thanks. Great information as usual. Thank you, Michael. And thanks for joining us. And stay with us. We'll have more legal tips for you related to commercial real estate trends today. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit arborcrowd.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The excitement is brought to you by RealCrowd.com. They do commercial real estate crowdfunding. Do check them out. Well, today we're talking about legal concepts today. What are some important legal things that are coming up in today in kind of the new world of commercial real estate? Well, please welcome my next guest. It's Rusty Fleming, and Rusty is a partner with the law firm of Nelson Mullins. He's here in Studio One with us. Rusty, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. Well, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, Rusty, it seems like it is kind of a, a new world, right, uh, of commercial real estate. Uh, you're on the front lines, uh, you're representing a lot of lenders, dealing with borrowers. So what are you seeing today from your desk uh, related to uh, underwriting? Uh, what do you see? Yeah, so you know, we're seeing a wide variety of deals, you know, Bridge, Life Company, CMBS. And I would say you know, underwriting at the Life Companies is the same as it always has been, you know, fairly conservative and, and down the middle. Um, where, we're, where we're seeing some things that um, you may have seen you know, 2005, 06, uh, you know, 10-year IOs, um, you know, sp pure springing cash management. They're still hanging on to springing cash management, but, you know, six, eight, ten months ago, you would see in-place cash management, or at least an in-place uh, lockbox with sweeps over to the borrower. Now, they're dormant accounts that aren't even triggered. So. We're seeing erosion there. Um, I would say, you know, on the most part, leverage is is about the same. 
Um, maybe ticking up a little bit in the bridge space given the, the number of lenders there. But I would say um, primarily you know, cash management is one place and, and then uh, interest periods are getting a little longer than we've, we've seen you know, in, in more recent vintage um, closings. Is that because there's uh, a lot of lenders looking for deals? Definitely a lot of lenders. Yeah. Uh, we were out at the MBA and uh, there were 90 bridge lenders at that conference. Uh, you know, and it was similar to that in CMBS, you know, just a few years ago, mm-hmm. everyone had a CMBS shop and then um, the, the herd got cold a little. Uh, and, and I think that helped uh, in a lot of ways and it did not hurt borrowers availability to capital. And we're seeing the same thing in the bridge space, just tons of capital out there. People are chasing yields, you know, people getting 40, 50 term sheets on a you know, tertiary market value add deal, um, you know, which no one would touch two years ago. Yeah. So, yes, there is um, competition, which is eroding underwriting to some extent. But, you know, I guess the, the counter to that is a lot of these guys are leveraging. There, there are a lot of you know, private equity funds and hedge funds that are in this space. And so other, de- other types of debt funds. And so they are leveraging their balance sheets to make the loans. And so there is a check and balance with their own lender uh, on the back end. Uh, and then a lot of these are destined for CLOs. And so you've still got to you know, check the box there. So you know, we're still seeing independent directors, non-consolidation opinions on the closing side, those are still fairly routine even for deals that, uh, you know, in the, you know, 12, 15 million dollar range and, you know, in the, in the good old days, you know, non-cons were 50 million and above or, mm-hmm. you know, independent directors much higher. So, uh, those things are still uh, out there, but there is definitely competition and it's pushing you know, pushing a few buttons. Yeah, well, are you seeing more um, equity investors uh, becoming investors in debt? Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I think um, people are chasing yield where they can get it, but mm-hmm. but at this point in the cycle, they're also looking for a little bit of safety. So it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have definitely seen more traditional equity players um, dip their toe in the mez lending, which you know between pref and mez, there's little distinction sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but we have seen them get more comfortable in the MES space. I think senior lenders are more comfortable with the MES um, than, than they are with PREF in some instances. So we've definitely seen that. Um, we've seen, and, and we've seen them take senior positions as well. You yeah. know, just wherever, they, they've got to put their money to work. You know, they, yeah. it's a burning hole in their market. That's right. <laughs> Should borrowers be concerned who the real actual lender is? Absolutely. Uh, this is something we've, we've talked about uh, a lot recently, and, and that's the rise of shadow banks, non, non-traditional lenders. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple things at play there. Um, one, uh, you know, what's their source of capital, and is it, uh, a, a true long-term source, especially in the bridge space, because almost all of those are structured with some type of future funding component. You know, it's a turnaround play. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a major PIP that's gonna be funded over two to three years, or a capital improvement plan on a, on a you know, apartment that you're trying to take from a C to a B class, 
um, you need from the borrower seed to be um, to be sure that your funding source is still going to be there next year when you you right. have that have that need. Uh, and so that I, I think borrowers are sometimes not aware of that uh, yeah. or are cognizant of it. They're looking at proceeds, they're looking at rate, they're looking at structure, but they're not really thinking about you know who am I doing business with here? What's their exit strategy? Does that exit strategy impact me? Is it CLO? Are they putting it on a repo line so that you know they're, the, the loan may be owned by another bank? Or another institution that might be a positive thing, yeah. but you may lose up the lose the control of who you're dealing with, um, and so I think you know borrowers definitely need to be aware of that. You know, we've heard yeah. consistently from borrowers that they did not have a good experience in the downturn with CMBS servicers, mm-hmm. um, and and so they're they're more apt to go to, to bridge lenders because they, they feel like there's more control there and it's not going to go into uh, a CMBS remic but they're still going to probably go into a CLO they're going to be dealing with the servicer I, I think that borrowers should definitely be aware of who they're doing business with and, yeah and also and I guess be concerned about who's seeing their financial information as a borrower uh, based on the type of lender and what they're doing with it right Sure. So our sophistic- the sophisticated borrowers that we're dealing with mm-hmm. are definitely asking for confidentiality provisions, mm-hmm. and they're tightening up the the traditional secondary market type of uh, provisions that you see in loan documents to make sure that their information is not shared with um, with the world. Yeah. Um, also, we've seen uh, borrowers, particularly um, you know, if they're uh, Hotel is a good example where you know, they may be a very large Marriott franchisee. Mm-hmm. You know, they put they've put some restrictions now in uh, allowing competitors to see their financials, putting restrictions on who the assinees of the loan can be, mm-hmm. so that they're not you know getting in bed with um, someone that they don't want to be. So we've definitely seen that uh, from borrowers over the last you know two three years. Yeah, it's interesting to. Uh, you could really protect yourself there uh, and without thinking about it can get in a bad situation. Well, you said there's a good bit of uh, lenders out there. Are you seeing any trends on rates yet from your desk uh, rising? You know, over the last six months as, you know, treasuries have gone up, spreads have tightened. So there hasn't been a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that you know, we will see that over the course of the year, uh, and I think you know spreads have have moved out a little recently. I, I definitely think that there will 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 be uh, you know higher rates, but you know, not, haven't really seen it yet. Not really yet, yeah. and you know it's still pretty good all in. You know, we yeah. I closed the deal yesterday. Um, it was a um, fixed rate deal, and they locked in uh, in the mid fours. So. Uh, and then on a bridge deal, we're was seeing- Was that existing pro- property? Yes, that was a stabilized asset. Okay. Uh, closed a bridge deal, it had a um, uh, LIBOR plus uh, five if the debt yield was uh, above seven, and, or uh, below seven, and, and LIBOR four if it got above. So, you know, we're seeing some uh, 
creative things there as well. Yeah, and it used to be the days uh, you go get a loan and the the documents or the documents. <laughs> you know, it's like sign it or you don't get the loan. Right. Are you seeing any more flexibility with lenders? I think so. I think that's part of. Yeah the competition out there so people are being more flexible i still think there's those things that you can't touch you know the bad boy carve outs mm. uh, i mean you can massage them but for the most part they are what they are yeah um you know most people are not giving grace periods on payment defaults mm-hmm. um and you know cash management waterfalls you know they're not reordering those to to move the borrower up in in the waterfall so there there are still things that are must have SBE provisions. But I would say on balance, I think you know most lenders try to be reasonable. And if it's not going to ding the lender in whatever their secondary market strategy is, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're willing to work with borrowers. Okay, and you guys are doing loans all over the country and you have some states that are judicial foreclosure and some that are non-judicial and, and you can get a, do a foreclosure a little faster in those states. Uh, on Are any of your uh, lenders or borrowers seeing any difference in terms or documents per se uh, with judicial states versus non-judicial? So if I'm developing in multiple states or investing in multiple states, might I see anything different? I don't think we're seeing much difference there. I think lenders are, uh, national lenders are comfortable Mm -hmm. that that they know what they're getting Mm -hmm. uh, as they move into states. I will say that more lenders are choosing New York law Mm -hmm. as an overall governing law uh, and then just using the local law of the state for the security documents. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that doesn't impact the judicial, non-judicial issue, but for it does impact borrowers for opinions it, it, you know it can be more costly to close so that's another thing mm-hmm. that i think um you know sophisticated borrowers are are asking do i really need to go to new york do, mm-hmm. do i really have to have a delaware entity mm-hmm. you know those types of things that that you know are seen from a borrower seat as cost items but from a lender seat you know are pretty important okay what would be a closing tip for lenders today um yeah, I would say um, have a good um, exclusivity period uh, on your term sheets because people are dual tracking, tr- try tracking, shopping deals like never before, mm-hmm. um, and 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 get an upfront deposit for the same reason. I, I, I think that's um, I think that's probably the number one tip. I think the lenders are doing well mm-hmm. with their underwriting. So, yeah, yeah. I, but I think that's where. It's the competition that's, you know, we've seen some issues okay. in, in that How about area. a closing tip for borrowers today? Yeah, I think borrowers need to um, uh, be aware of the closing requirements and the timeline. You know, have realistic expectations. Uh, yeah, that's probably... Um, start early, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> start. Don't you know, don't call 30, 30 days before your maturity date, which we've seen. Right. Um, you know, and uh, and then just be forthright. You know, particularly with you know, very few people made it through the downturn unscathed. Right. And um, you know, just don't play hide the ball with those items. Most lenders know that. They right. can work through that. Right. But where we see problems or where borrowers you know, say, oh, we didn't have any problems. And then you get your credit searches and yeah. you got this blip and that blip. And there's a there's usually a story there. But if you just tell the story and be upfront about it, it's a, a lot, a lot easier than 
finding out on the back end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. We did a lot, do a lot of work for banks and have done a lot of work for banks. And I remember one of the banks said, oh yeah, we want you to do the, sell these notes, we want you to sell these ARIA, blah, blah, blah. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you one of our problem borrowers? <laughs> well, no, no, we're not. Okay, good, all right, we can move forward. That's right, that's yeah. right. Well, Rusty, great information. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. Thanks for your shares, thanks for your comments, and reach out to us at any time. And be sure and join us next week. Until then, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, Invest Alongside Experts, Bomi.org, Property and Facility Management Education, Real Crowd, Crowdfunding with Professionals, The News Funnel, Real Estate News Personalized, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, Video Training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit CREshow.com.